And we start the show with a new segment called Matt's Top 10. Matt's Top 10 is brought to you by Apex Fantasy Leagues. The best place to play seasonal fantasy football for money is at Apex. With a skill-based format and industry-leading payouts, Apex ensures that fantasy players win big. Apex is now offering Dynasty Leagues as well. So go to apexfantasyleagues.com now and sign up today. Matt's Top 10. Yes. Yes, still June, so we can get away with the cliche of the cliche sports topics to fill these airwaves with content when there's no action, zero stimulus in the football world. So we default to the top 10, yes, of course. The most cliche sports radio device, the contrived top 10. That's what we should call it. Let's let Apex know. Make sure they're okay with sponsoring the contrived top 10 list. Yes, Matt's contrived top 10. The top 10 passing weapon arsenals in the NFL. So if you look across the league, which passing games have the best weapons? Put the quarterback off to the side. Make this list quarterback agnostic. The wide receivers, the pass catching running backs pass-catching tight ends. Who's the best? Well, we'll start with the Arizona Cardinals. You have to go with Arizona at the top of this list because their top three receivers blow away the top three receivers of any other wide receiver core in the league. Headlined by Larry Fitzgerald, a future Hall of Famer who has at least one year of elite productivity left. Then you have Michael Floyd, who has one of the best talent profiles of any wide receiver in the league. We talk all the time about checking boxes. Well, very few receivers check all the boxes like Michael Floyd. Big, fast, productive, efficient at the NFL level. He can do it all. He can play all the positions. There's nothing not to like about Michael Floyd. Then you have John Brown, another small, versatile receiver. Can play slot, can play stretch X. Also an efficient player. And what I like about Arizona is they like to go four wide because they do not have a tight end of consequence in the passing game. So they can bring in J.J. Nelson. J.J. Nelson running a 4-2-8 is the fastest wide receiver in the league and led the NFL in yards per reception with over 20 yards per reception in 2015. He is an exceptional deep threat. The Arizona Cardinals are an embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver position. Who wouldn't want to have John Brown as their stretch X? I would. If I was starting a team today, I would love to start with John Brown as my stretch X or J.J. Nelson at my stretch X. If I was filling the stretch X role, John Brown would be one of my first choices and J.J. Nelson wouldn't be much farther down the list. Their bounty of wide receiver talent makes up for the fact that they do not have a tight end of consequence in that passing game, but they do have a running back who is one of the best receiving running backs in the league in David Johnson. The next team on the list, the Steelers because they have the best wide receiver in the league, arguably one of, if not the best, pass-catching running backs in the league in Le'Veon Bell, a well-above-average receiving tight end in Ladarius Green, who has top-five upside in the NFL if he can translate his athleticism into on-field efficiency in a full-time role. That's yet to be determined, but I think he can do it. Then you have the athletic field stretcher in Sammy Coates and an efficient possession receiver in Marcus Wheaton. So nothing not to like about the Steelers' talent configuration in their passing game. There's a reason why the Steelers' offense is one of the most prolific in the league every single year. Perennially prolific, not just because of Ben Roethlisberger, 
Roethlisberger. It's because of the weapons that Ben Roethlisberger has at his disposal. There's a reason why Ryan Fitzpatrick had a career year last year. It's because he was throwing the ball to Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, and now Matt Forte. That's why the Jets are number three on the list. I also believe Jason Morrow will break out either this year or next year. He has one of those talent profiles that checks all the boxes. Jason Morrow is the Michael Floyd of tight ends. And I like Quincy Inunua in the slot. A pumped up slot receiver, 6'2", 225, runs a sub 4.5040, upper percentile height adjusted speed score for Quincy Inunua, who also has an upper percentile height adjusted speed score and college dominator. He is one of only a handful of wide receivers in the league that have upper percentile height adjusted speed scores and college dominators. That's why I am compiling as much Quincy Inunua across fantasy leagues, all formats, the end of a redraft league, and the end of a dynasty league draft. He's so easy to acquire, and he has an incredible ceiling. Number four on the list is the Jaguars. You might say, well, the Jaguars don't have a great pass-catching running back like David John or Le'Veon Bell or Matt Forte. Ah, not so fast. TJ Yeldon is a fantastic receiver out of the backfield. Julius Thomas is a touchdown machine in the red zone. And of course, they have the Allens, the Southern Rock Band from the 70s. Two guitar-playing frontmen, great harmonizing, making up for their out-of-beat drummer, Blake Bortles. And Rashad Green has well above average agility and could be an efficient slot receiver in the NFL. So I like the Jaguars in the top five. I also have the Chiefs in the top five. The Chiefs? What? Yeah, the Chiefs. One of the best tight ends, one of the best receiving running backs in the league. Kelsey, Jamal Charles. What's not to like about the Kansas City passing game weapons? Jeremy Macklin has been a perennial top 20 wide receiver in the league. Top 10 red zone catch rate last year, so he's a great possession receiver. He's great at scoring touchdowns. There's not very many bad things you can say about Jeremy Macklin. There's almost none. And then the complementary receivers in the passing game fit those roles perfectly. You have Albert Wilson as a stretch X player, and you have the uber-athletic Chris Conley, the best spark score in the league, waiting in the wings, coming in in three receiver sets. So that's an exciting group of receivers in Kansas City. Outside the big three, Macklin, Kelsey, and Charles, Albert Wilson has a 99th percentile college dominator rating, and Chris Conley has a 100th percentile spark X score on playerprofiler.com. Yes, please. The Chiefs are ahead of the Patriots at number six. How is that possible? Well, because if you switch quarterbacks, it would be clear that the Chiefs have top five passing game weaponry, but their ability cannot be fully unlocked by Alex Smith. On the Patriots, the ability of Deion Lewis was unlocked by Tom Brady last season. Rob Gronkowski is the best tight end ever. They make up for an underwhelming wide receiver core. Yes, it's headlined by Julian Edelman, one of the best slot flankers in the league. But the next two receivers on the depth chart are Chris Hogan and Danny Amendola. Now... If Malcolm Mitchell breaks into that starting lineup, then we might have an argument for pushing the Patriots up into that top five. We'll see. Number seven, Cowboys. Yeah, the Cowboys. Jason Witten still has a productive year or two left. Ezekiel Elliott will immediately become one of the top five receiving backs in the NFL. Des Bryant, one of the best receivers in the NFL, obviously. But I think Terrence Williams is one of the more underrated wide receivers in the league. He had above average efficiency last season, despite the fact that his quarterbacks were Matt Castle, Kellen Moore, and Brandon Whedon. 
That's impressive. And their third receiver is either Cole Beasley, who was the most efficient slot receiver in 2014 when Tony Romo played almost a full season. Or if you don't think it's Beasley, you think it's Bryce Butler. Well, Bryce Butler is one of the most athletic wide receivers in the league. When you look at size-adjusted athleticism, Bryce Butler is near the top of the league. And if he can translate just a fraction of his athleticism into on-field performance, which he did in the final two weeks of last season, commanding nine targets in week 17, 10 targets in week 16. The Cowboys were trying to funnel the ball the end of last season to Bryce Butler, and there is a chance that Bryce Butler could be a streamer in 2016 if Des Bryant or Terrence Williams gets hurt. With Tony Romo throwing the ball to Bryce Butler, we could have some explosive plays on our hands. That's why I like the Cowboys' offensive weaponry more than most. More than the Packers. The Packers should be in the top five. Not, no, no. Why? They have bottom of the league tight end play. Richard Rodgers and Jared Cook represent the worst of the tight end position. They don't have a scat back on the roster. One of the great failings of Ted Thompson is his inability to bring in a pass catching running back that can operate behind or next to Aaron Rodgers in passing situations and in the two minute drill. They don't have it. Anytime you're in shotgun and you're down multiple scores in the fourth quarter and a fat running back is standing next to you in the backfield, then your GM has done you a disservice in the player personnel department. The Packers refuse to draft nifty space backs. Imagine Theo Riddick on the Packers. Imagine that. They passed on DeAndre Washington in the draft. Mistake. Wendell Smallwood. Mistake. Every year in free agency and in the draft, there are a number of affordable satellite backs available in the later rounds or for a million dollars a year in free agency, and the Packers refuse to acquire these players, and it is irrational. But when you just look at their top three receivers, yeah, it doesn't get any better than Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Jeff Janis. It is definitely Jeff Janis, not Devontae Adams. It's not Ty Montgomery. It's not Jared Arbordaris. It's Jeff Janis. And Jeff Janis enhances the overall weaponry. Without Jeff Janis, the Packers fall out of the top 10. Because you can't be in the top 10 with just two wide receivers that are above average. If your running backs are below average in the passing game, your tight ends are well below average, and your number three receiver is also below average, then you're not in this top 10 list. Jeff Janis allows the Packers to be in this top 10 list. Number nine is Washington. Washington, yes, Washington, because they have the perfect pieces in the perfect roles. And I believe that Josh Doxson will quickly ascend to being the ex-receiver target hog that so many teams are looking for, playing that A.J. Green role. That takes the pressure off of Deshaun Jackson. He can play the slot. He can play the stretch X position. He doesn't need to worry about absorbing a top target share in the league. And Pierre Garçon doesn't need to worry about that either. Pierre Garçon can focus on being an efficient flanker because he doesn't have the talent profile of an NFL target hog either. They were missing that queen chess piece that they now have in Josh Doxson. Now that Josh Doxson has arrived, all those pieces now click into place in the Washington passing game including Jamison Crowder in the slot. They have four receivers that are all perfectly suited for their roles now. Deshaun Jackson in that T.Y. Hilton stretch X slot hybrid role. Josh Doxson at X. Pierre Garçon at Z. Jamison Crowder at Y. 
They have maybe the best receiving tight end in the league in Jordan Reed. Jordan Reed can't block anybody. That's why Rob Gronkowski is a far superior player in real NFL terms to Jordan Reed. But in fantasy football, when we were just looking at the passing game, it's hard to get better than Jordan Reed. It's also hard to get better than Chris Thompson. That's right. When you talk about satellite backs, there's very few players better than Chris Thompson at catching the ball out of the backfield and getting the most yards after the catch. Chris Thompson's yards per touch last season, 6.5. That was number sixth in the league, plus 11.8 production premium for Chris Thompson last season. He's not particularly elusive, but he catches the ball out of the backfield, and he knows how to gain as many yards as possible before usually going out of bounds, but he should be going out of bounds because he's brittle, so it makes sense. The Packers could use a player like Chris Thompson, but Ted Thompson, it's funny, Ted Thompson should have been targeting Chris Thompson. I mean, that's easy, right? Your name is Thompson. You should be biased toward players named Thompson. But even with the same last name, Ted Thompson couldn't figure out that a player like Chris Thompson would be a great fit on the Packers. Imagine Chris Thompson tethered to Aaron Rodgers. That's exciting. Oh, well, we'll never see it. We have Eddie Lacy in the backfield. Thanks to Ted Thompson. Great. Number three running back on the Packers, John Crockett. Thanks, Ted. Great job. And rounding out the list, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 10. They don't have an elite wide receiver. Mike Evans could be an elite wide receiver, but he hasn't proven it yet. Vincent Jackson used to be a very good, not elite wide receiver, but he's now 33 years old. But they still have the Twin Towers on the outside. That's exciting. Austin Safarian Jenkins has one of the best talent profiles of any tight end in the league. The fact that Austin Safarian Jenkins left a mini camp practice early is not something that I am going to spend too much time worrying about. And then in the backfield, Charles Sims, one of the best pass catching running backs in the league. The number three receiver is up in the air, but if Kenny Bell can win the number three receiver job, he has those Chris Conley qualities, the upper percentile spark score. If you can plug an elite athlete in the slot and he can be competent, then you'll have some explosive plays on your hands. Again, Chris Conley, Bryce Butler, Kenny Bell. These players have value. The fact that these players are there on the depth chart as non-starters, that is an asset to a wide receiver core, and it enhances the overall passing game weaponry. Those are your top 10. Let's argue about it. Let's get on Twitter. Where's Miami? Where's Miami on the list? You love Miami's weapons, Fantasy Mansion. Yeah, sure, Miami's 11, but it's a top 10 list, so that's it. There's no Miami on there. Miami has the ideal prototypes for all of the various roles in a passing game, but the reason they're not in the top 10 is because none of those players have proven productive in the face of huge volume. The only productive player in that passing game last season was Jarvis Landry, which takes me to my next segment. This next segment is called Me Replying to Tweets Via a Podcast. And this segment is brought to you by Reality Sports Online. Reality Sports Online allows owners to build and manage their fantasy team like a real NFL general manager. Reality Sports Online was created by former NFL front office personnel and features a revolutionary free agent auction room which mimics NFL free agency, enabling fantasy owners to negotiate and sign the NFL's top talent to single or multi-year contracts. The platform can host 32 teams, has cool and sophisticated features such as a rookie rookie draft. They have rookies too, but there's a rookie draft. <laughs> Imagine if you couldn't acquire rookies in a fantasy league. That would stink. Multi-team trades, franchise tags, injured reserves, salary caps, 
Test your general manager skills for free at realitysportsonline.com in a mock free agent auction. And if you like what you see, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. The tweet I want to reply to is from a friend of mine, Russell Clay. You can follow him at Russell J. Clay on Twitter. And I replied to one of his tweets last night, and I never got around to replying to his replies, although I'm trying to abstain from too much Twitter-based arguing, and that's what this segment is all about, moving my argument to the airwaves, sharing the argument with the world via the podcast. Yes, fun, lazy, but maybe fun too. can be both. Something can be lazy and fun for everyone. Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. What is an example of something that is both lazy and fun? And Russell Clay started a discussion last night about slot receivers, the analysis of slot receivers, and the genesis was Jarvis Landry. And Russell Clay contends that a player like Wes Welker should not be compared to a player like Calvin Johnson because they play starkly different roles. Calvin Johnson can't run the option routes like Wes Welker, nor can Wes Welker run the back shoulder fades like Calvin Johnson. So I agree with that. You can't compare them across roles, but they must be compared because in fantasy football, we must compare their production one for one. There is no X versus Y versus Z slots in a fantasy league platform. Even the most sophisticated fantasy platform, Reality Sports Online, does not dedicate individual slots for X, Y, and Z. The position is wide receiver. And wide receiver fantasy points are wide receiver fantasy points across all leagues, across all formats, across all platforms. But if you're just analyzing the player's ability in a vacuum and quantifying the value to their team, then you must do it within the context of their role. And that way, I agree with Russell Clay. And I believe these comments were interpreted by some as a rationalization of Jarvis Landry's abysmal yards per target. Just a reminder, in 2014, Jarvis Landry's yards per target, 6.9. In 2015, Jarvis Landry's yards per target, 6.9. Two straight years of sub-7-0 yards per target. That's 32 games of inefficient wide receiver play. Inefficient even by slot receiver standards. I'm not saying it's inefficient comparing Jarvis Landry to Julio Jones or J.J. Nelson. No, inefficient by slot receiver standards. That's a big difference. His yards per target was far below Julian Edelman's, Doug Baldwin's. Doug Baldwin posted a 10.4 yards per target last season. That was number five in the NFL versus Jarvis Landry's 6.9 yards per target, which was 80th in the NFL. Because Doug Baldwin is a quality slot receiver in the NFL, Jarvis Landry is at best replacement level. But this idea that we should be analyzing wide receivers within the context of their roles on the offense can't be used to rationalize Jarvis Landry's abysmal yards per target. It's just the opposite. The slot wide receiver's intrinsic quality is often overstated by simply looking at his fantasy production. Because Jarvis Landry posted 6.8 fantasy points per game. That was 13th in the league. Excellent. Fantasy output inflates the value of the slot receiver. 
Conversely, the role in the offense, the role in the passing game, whose value is not fully captured by fantasy points, is the Stretch X player. Because I can find 50 players in the NFL that can do Jarvis Landry's job adequately. I can only find 10 that can do Kenny Stills' job adequately. Or Will Fuller, or Philip Dorsett. Their skill sets are much harder to find. That's why Will Fuller and Philip Dorsett were first-round picks. I love that we can just stay in Miami and have this entire conversation because Miami has Jarvis Landry and Miami has Kenny Stills. I talk about Miami more than any other team on the show because they are a great test case. The Dolphins are a great test case. They are a talent configuration laboratory or laboratory. Because in Miami, we have both extremes. We have the grossly overvalued Jarvis Landry and the equally undervalued Kenny Stills. Jarvis Landry is overvalued because if you go to playerprofiler.com and you look at his ADP in my fantasy leagues, it's 30. Despite the fact that he had a negative 13.3 production premium, 86th in the league, negative 2.2 target premium was 62 in the league. The target premium compares his per target production to the other receivers in the Miami passing game. So that factors out the fact that they have a below replacement quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. Jarvis Landry's target premium was still negative. And his catch rate wasn't even that good. 66.5% outside the top 20. Oh, but he's so strong at the catch point. Not really. 47.4% contested catch rate was outside the top 50. So get out of here with all that. Get out of here with all that anecdotal nonsense that props up Jarvis Landry. Or the oversimplified analysis, let's just look at the fantasy points per game. Kenny Stills, on the other hand, has been productive when he's been used. He wasn't used last year. His target share was only 11.2%. That was 95th in the league. I'm treating Kenny Stills 2015 the same way I'm treating Des Bryant's 2015 stats. I am crumpling it up. Here you go. That's a bad piece of paper. That piece of paper is not crumpling well. Let's get this one. Oh, I need that piece. No, I need that piece of paper. How about this piece of paper? No, no. Now, here we go. Here's a piece of paper. Here, here. This is it. Crumpling it up. That's the Kenny Stills 2015 stat line. Crumpling it up, throwing it away. In the garbage. Missed. I'm not very good at basketball. If you listen to the Sonic Truth podcast on the Field Goals platform, you will know I'm not great at basketball. I'm not awful, not great. And I badly missed that crumpled up piece of paper basketball shot into the wastebasket. But Kenny Stills in 2014, when he was being used by a quarterback who knows how to use him, by a team that knows how to use an asset like Kenny Stills, and a quarterback that knows how to use an asset like Kenny Stills, well, in 2014, Kenny Stills posted a plus 27.7 production premium that was 7th in the league, plus 13.5 target premium, 28th in the league, and his yards per target, 11.2. Third in the league. And this is how I know Kenny Stills is a quality receiver. That he is a valuable asset that every team in the NFL should be calling the Dolphins and trying to acquire Kenny Stills, particularly after the Dolphins drafted Leontay Carew. And a basic depth chart would show you, wow, Kenny Stills is slotting in as the number five position on the target totem pole. The Miami Dolphins do not appreciate what Kenny Stills brings to the table. All NFL teams should be targeting him because in 2014, Kenny Stills 
posted an 11.2 yards per target, which was top five in the league, and a 75.9% catch rate, which was top five in the league. You so rarely see that. The deep threat posting a top yards per target and yards per reception while also catching the ball at a high rate. So rare. Kenny Stills is absolutely a rare talent, and he's still young. 24 years old, and he runs a 4-3-8-40. Wow. But the fantasy points per game do not illustrate what a good player he is, because in that season in 2014, posting efficiency that no other player that year could compare to, could offer. Top five yards per target, top five catch rate. His fantasy points per game, only 11.6. 37th in the league. That's what Russell Clay was talking about. You can't just compare the receiver's production one for one. If you operate close to the line of scrimmage, you need to discount that player's production. If you're a downfield threat, you need to put a premium on that player's production because that player's value is not just in the catches he's converting. Every time he runs a go route, Kenny Stills is stretching the field and creating more room for the other receivers in the passing game to operate. Jarvis Landry is doing no one any favors when he runs a route except Jarvis Landry. And looking at the efficiency metrics, it's clear that Jarvis Landry, over the last two years, his fantasy production has been propped up by huge volume. The Miami Dolphins have been misallocating their targets. Jarvis Landry's talent profile does not align with his target share. Jarvis Landry's target share was 28.7, 7th in the league. If the only metrics where you finish in the top 10 are on the opportunity side of the ledger, and then you're at the bottom of the league on the efficiency side of the ledger, then you're being misused by your team and most likely overrated in fantasy football circles. And that's exactly what we're seeing with Jarvis Landry. No wide receiver target share in the NFL is more incongruent with his talent profile than Jarvis Landry's. If I were starting a team today, I would rather have Kenny Stills because His talent profile is much more scarce than Jarvis Landry's. And if I was starting a new team and filling my slot role, I would select Jarius Wright over Jarvis Landry. Yes, Jarius Wright. Because Jarius Wright is just as strong as Jarvis Landry at the catch point, but he's much more athletic. And you could say, well, Jarvis Landry is more adept at catching the football. No, he's not. Over the last two years, their catch rates have been similar. Well, then you could say, well, Jarvis Landry is phenomenal after the catch. That's true. Jarvis Landry's 583 yards after the catch last season was number three in the league. He is a good player after the catch. That is one of his strengths. Jarvis Landry has a couple strengths. He's a precise route runner, he has strong hands, and he's good after the catch. He's not great at any of those things, he's good at those things, and then he's bad at almost everything else. With Jarius Wright, he's also a precise route runner and has strong hands, but Jarius Wright is exceptional after the catch. He had 3.4 yards after the catch per target last season, similar to Jarvis Landry, but in 2014, 5.4 yards after the catch per target. That was number one in the league. He and Golden Tate are the two best receivers after the catch. That's why I would rather have Jarius Wright than Jarvis Landry if I were starting a team and selecting the player that would fill my slot role. Now, back to Miami in real life, 
If the Dolphins want to win more games, they should siphon 25% of Jarvis Landry's targets to Kenny Stills. I want to pick an arbitrary number. That's the arbitrary number I'm picking, 25%. The Dolphins would win more games if they reallocated the targets, moving them from Jarvis Landry to Kenny Stills. Because you want wide receivers who can threaten the deeper areas of the field. Those throws have more value. When you look at the quarterback air yards per attempt, the last 10 years. Here's how it breaks down when you examine the various areas of the field. The most efficient place for a quarterback to throw the ball where he gets the most air yards per attempt is deep middle, 10.96 air yards per attempt. Deep left, 9.52 air yards per attempt. Deep right, 9.45 air yards per attempt. Short middle, 6.94 air yards per attempt. Short left, 5.98 air yards per attempt. And finally, the place that Jarvis Landry loves to operate, the short right side of the field, 5.63 air yards per attempt. Wah, wah, wah. And I wouldn't just reallocate targets from Jarvis Landry to Kenny Stills. I would also advocate for reallocating targets to Devontae Parker. But I think that's a more mainstream contention. I think most people believe that Miami should and will increase Devontae Parker's target share at the cost of Jarvis Landry. I'm saying something more extreme, which is to siphon 50 targets away from Jarvis Landry and allocate them to Kenny Stills and Devontae Parker. Because Jarvis Landry is a prototypical slot receiver. He should only be playing in three receiver sets, and he should be operating close to the line of scrimmage out of the Y position. That's it. That's the only role in which Jarvis Landry's skill set can be of use to the Dolphins. And while I like Kenny Stills... I love Devontae Parker because versatility is even more valuable than one-dimensional field stretching. The queen chess piece is the ultimate weapon in the passing game because they threaten all areas of the field. That's why the best wide receivers in the league are Brandon Cooks, Odell Beckham Jr., Des Bryant, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown. They threaten all areas of the football field. And there are a handful of young receivers who are currently ascending who will be the queen chess pieces of the future. They are Devontae Parker, Josh Doxson, and my man, Corey Coleman. 